Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. You are listening to Mortification of Spin. So glad that you joined us today. My name is Todd Pruitt, and I am joined as always by my co-hosts, Amy Bird and Carl Truman. Of course, as we know, Amy around these parts, she is the uh, Yoko Ono of uh, Mortification of Spin. That is class. True class. That's all I have to say to that. We, <laughs> I, I, I just want to say that Carl Truman made me do that. Amy Bird has some laugh. I, I mean, will get you back tomorrow. I did not want to do that, but Carl made me. Lord, the co-host you gave me <laughs> told me compare uh, Amy to Yoko Ono and therefore I did. Well she has had a similar I mean we were the original spin team. True. And Amy kind of muscled in. You know, we she invited did. her on as a no. guest and she never you guys went you know, away. Me she, to come. she called us that day and said, "Listen, I have a book coming out. Yeah. I don't think it's going to sell. Would you all <laughs> let me be a co-host on your podcast?" Mm. And you know, of course the automatic answer was no, but mm. then we got to thinking, you know, if we don't she's going to we write some awful things about us. I think Every Jack Van Impey needs his Rex Seller. That's all I would say. <laughs> Look, you guys were struggling you, with you the bald and the overweight and the bitter audience. <laughs> Don't you Let's call our audience it. overweight. <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. Um, well, we're... Um, we're hold it. We, hey, we uh, just, you we know what your wife's doing today? Who? What's that? My wife? Yeah. What is my wife doing today? <laughs> I don't even need the witch, the witch cackle out for that one. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what, what did, did Cruella you? over here is reading social media, so. That doesn't scare me. She's, She's test, driving test driving a car, a car right now. Oh, my wife, oh. Buying it on your credit card. So, yeah, so let me explain to everybody. Today is my wife's birthday. She's 39. <laughs> and um, today's my wife's birthday and uh, the exceptional Mrs. Pruitt. And um, uh, Nayara and uh, Amy Bird just called my attention that she is at this moment, while I am five and a half hours away, she is test driving a car. So, But I want you to Be know. very afraid. Yeah, I mean, I want you to know. I, uh, I love my wife. I had already told her that it's time for her to replace the minivan. So you issued the command, like... I told her, I said, I give you my permission under the heavy hand of my leadership. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Mm. (laughs) So is she buying a Prius? (laughs) Yeah, I I said, as long as you... No, I I think she is... I think she's test driving a Nissan Altima. Oh. Um, But uh, who knows knows what else? She's not Mm. a real sports car person, although I'm sure... If we had tons of money to burn, she might test drive a few. But she's she's a relatively practical person. She's more practical than me, and so I suspect uh, she will replace so the man with eighty pipes. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. That's yeah. an important part of biblical manhood. Wow. And um, oh, I would yeah. suspect I would suspect that uh, that the good Mrs. Pruitt, the uh, uh, admirable Mrs. Pruitt, will replace her aging minivan 
with she's um, still in a minivan. She's still in a minivan. Yeah, a minivan with I. I you think, should have gotten that woman a new car a while oh, ago. Oh, I. You know, she's an amazing woman though. She's uh, you know she's put up with you all these years. She's mm-hmm. put that, up with me certain. all she's of these suffering. years. She's unbelievable. She's great. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. She's uh, she's great. She has aged much better than me, as if that's any kind of big secret. Absolutely. Um, my my children are well. My daughter's very kind, but my sons are are uh, are quick to remind me um, that she is far better looking, like just way out of my league. And it's true. It's true. It makes me a little insecure. But then at the same time, I can actually say that I have a trophy wife. So, oh, no, Excellent. you did not say that. <laughs> well, that is biblical manhood. He, like you would know anything about it. He actually used not. the word chick over dinner <laughs> yeah. in Grove City and drew some unwanted attention from mm. the students. At so, the table so yes. Yeah, so I we, we're sitting at lunch here in Grove City. We need City. to talk theology, by the way, at some point. We, we are, but but we're sitting. We were sitting at Grove at at a at a restaurant uh, right near campus, at Grove City. And um, I used the term chick in order to be funny, because I am funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And two students sitting nearby apparently heard that and gave quite a stare. But I just told Carl. You have a reputation for doing that at restaurants. I, I do, I do. Causing I, women well, to give horrible looks exactly. to you. Exactly. But I told Carl to just, <laughs> if he finds them on campus, to say, hey, listen, you know, that was a friend of mine. He's not a, he's not a believer. We're evangelizing him. And yeah. just, you know, he has he Tourette's. Has no filters. He has Tourette's. So just pray, pray for the guy, you know. So anyway. Well, listen, we're, we're, we're happy. Now enough with that. Enough you with you that. got an inside view of our lives. I, I want to talk about something that, that is, it's been very interesting to us. And I think interesting to a number of people. Um, you know, probably, uh, oh, 15 years ago, uh, 12, 15 years ago, we started noticing increased popularity, kind of a rediscovery of the doctrines of grace. And so you had this phenomenon of, of the young, restless, and reformed. And, and for a while there, everybody was reformed. You know, if you if you like John Piper, you were reformed. Everybody wanted to be reformed. People were leaving their Southern Baptist churches and joining PCA churches because they thought the PCA church was reformed. And um, did you know, did you hear that little joke I just told? Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, oh, I tuned you out. I, I figured, I figured. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so, so that was a big, but one of the things that's been really interesting over the last couple of years now is although not getting nearly the press but being noticed is this rediscovery of you know classical theism classical doctrine of god um you've got seminaries like reformed theological seminary with with men like uh scott swain and and michael allen who are um uh, have, have a lot of expertise and and passion for classical theism you, you have my alma mater midwestern baptist theological seminary with matthew barrett who just released a really wonderful uh, kind of a popular level book on classical theism uh, called None Greater. And so we're starting to see this. Uh, Two things. First of all, Carl, just briefly uh, define classical theism in case folks aren't tracking with us. Classical theism is the the doctrine of God that is expressed in the uh, great ecumenical creeds of the early church, particularly the the Niceno-Constantinopolitan creed of 381, which really provides the benchmark for, for understanding the Trinity. And then, the, the, as expressed in some of the great thinkers of the Middle Ages, for example, Anselm or Thomas Aquinas, and embodied in the great creeds and confessions of the Reformation. Westminster Confession, Chapter 2, for example, is a wonderfully succinct statement of classical theism, mm-hmm. the statement that God is without parts and passions yeah. that points us back to the long-standing tradition that God is a spirit, God is simple, God is immutable, God is impassable, 
all of the great classic ideas uh, uh, about what and who God is. Uh, one of the, the interesting things is of the last two or three hundred years, that that doctrine had really got sidelined, marginalized, redefined for a variety of different reasons. Mm-hmm. The last 25, 30 years, we've seen this resurgence in realizing that the historic roots of Protestantism uh, lie in classical theism, mm-hmm. and that many of, of, of the theologians, certainly of the last 50 years, and even of the last 150, 200 years, that we might admire on other issues, mm-hmm. for example, predestination or uh, justification, were actually articulating doctrines of God that were not entirely consistent with what the church had believed, really, for for hundreds of years uh, and had expressed in its creeds and confessions. And Mm -hmm. there's a historical dimension to this in my own field of sort of early modern thought, Mm -hmm. the work of Richard Muller and others, uh, uncovering the, the patristic and medieval roots of the Reformed doctrine of God has proved critical for understanding what the Westminster Confession, mm-hmm. three, three forms of unity, were actually saying. In the patristic area, uh, the work of Louis Ayres and Khaled Anatolios, to mention two of the, the most significant figures in this area, has done much to uh, disabuse us of this idea that there was a, a, a real breach between East and West on the doctrine mm-hmm. of the Trinity in, in, the, in the early church and bringing to the fore the importance of notions of simplicity, immutability and impassibility yeah. in, in the early church discussions. And that has played over then into uh, uh, churchmen, Mm-hmm. becoming more and more aware that maybe what they think today isn't actually what the confessions to which they subscribe right. uh, was articulating. And so we've seen in the last, really in the last 10 years, an increasing sympathy for and sensitivity to classical theism, yeah. the, the, the doctrine of God as we find it in the early church fathers expressed in the Nicene Constantinopolitan mm-hmm. Creed, and as we find in, say, Westminster Confession, uh, yeah. Chapter two, and and what's interesting is some of the very influential theologians, Presbyterian theologians, for instance, of the twentieth century. Um, some of them who are who are still writing today have have either uh, substantially <clears throat> redefined doctrines like the simplicity of God and and impassibility, or have just outright denied it altogether. Yeah. So, for instance, yeah. a, a theologian I admire because he's done some wonderful work is uh, Donald McLeod. Um, whose whose work I love, but he absolutely denies uh, the doctrine of impassibility. Yeah, it's one um, of Donald's hallmarks. Yes, he really does not like that doctrine at all. Yeah. Then you'd have some guys like you know perhaps John Frame again has a lot of work that I admire, um, and yet he so redefines immutability, impassibility, and simplicity that they really don't resemble at all how they've always been defined. And and I think part of the problem is is that they take passages of scripture that describe Jesus in his human nature, Jesus in his human nature, either describing him or Jesus himself speaking um, as the one who is embodied, who identifies with us. And they read that back, those, those experiences of Jesus in his um, uh, humbled flesh, in the form of a servant, and they read that back into the eternal Godhead, which, again, the early church was careful to, to warn us not to do yeah, that. Yeah. And indeed provided us categories to allow us not right. not to do that. Exactly. Uh, there seems to be a resurgence. You kind of are given an academic background of it, but also on a popular level, mm. I've noticed much more interest yeah. um, and passion for a classical 
theism or, or mm-hmm. what do you theism as you theism uh, theism. theism he pronounces it, it like an Englishman important. I pronounce yeah. it correctly mm-hmm. you pronounce it incorrectly but everybody knows <laughs> Isaiah versus about. Isaiah <laughs> yeah yeah Roth versus yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you're I mean you know we interviewed uh, Matthew Barrett from Midwestern yeah. Baptist Theological Seminary recently in his mm-hmm. book uh, None Greater is a, is a popular it's level treatment more pop- and I'm yep. so thankful for yep. that um, yep, yep. His his uh, the online magazine that he edits, mm-hmm. named Credo, has done a whole series of issues dedicated to impassibility, yeah. right. simplicity, immutability. So many more resources at a popular yep. level now. Yep. And so, what what explains that? Do we think? Yeah, that's what I was getting yeah. at with well, my question before I got cut off like three times. <laughs> I, I, I think <laughs> one, of, one of the things <laughs> explains it is it's it's deeply pastoral because it's deeply biblical. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a tremendous emphasis in the last 60, 70, 80 years on biblical theology, mm-hmm. which has brought much fruit. Mm-hmm. But the problem with biblical theology, when you, when you simply focus on you know, the great acts of God in history, right. on redemptive history, right. is that you tend to conflate everything with what we might call the economic. Yes. That you, you don't look to the eternal. You, mm-hmm. Your mind is really... Captivated by, limited by Mm -hmm. the redemptive acts of God. Mm -hmm. And I think what becomes obvious as you start to reflect on that is that what God does in history only ultimately has significance because of who he is in eternity. And a number of people are starting to to connect the dots Mm -hmm. and to realize, well, actually, that was a big thing in the early church. Mm -hmm. And and, and again, when you go to the Bible, you look at the Psalms. Mm -hmm. The Psalms, the psalmist certainly praises God for his actions, Mm -hmm. but he also spends a lot of his time praising God for who he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The goodness of God right. is a key thing in the Psalms. And the goodness of God, that's an eternal quality. Right. Mm-hmm. God would be good even if he'd never created anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that there's that practical, devotional, or maybe, maybe practical, maybe the wrong word, contemplative mm-hmm. aspect that, that appeals to people right. who realize it. Worship is more than thanking God for the stuff he's done for me. Worship is actually acknowledging God for who he is in Mm. himself. Well, I think there's also just been a lot of really bad popular level resources um, in all the different ministries, men's ministries, women's ministries. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of lay people are now kind of realizing that they've you know, talking about Don McLeod, one of the things that he says in an introduction, I forget which book it is, um, you know, while there's a whole lot I still have to learn, uh, mm-hmm. I don't want there to be a whole lot that I have to unlearn. Yes. <laughs> and I feel like we're going through a time right now mm-hmm. with the bad resources that have been popularized, mm-hmm. that there are some things that we need right. to unlearn. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we, we had a couple of years ago talked a lot about, you know, the doctrine of the eternal submission of the son. And this connects directly to these things that we're talking about in terms of the the classical doctrine of God. Mm -hmm. And the error of taking, uh, for instance, Jesus' experience as our sympathizing high priest, the one who comes in the flesh. Again, the church has always been very careful to point out the dual natures of Christ. Mm -hmm. And what we say about Christ's divine nature is not necessarily what we say about his human nature and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a challenge to Mm -hmm. talk about. But there's nothing else in all of cosmic history that is like Mm -hmm. the incarnation that is like the dual natures of christ and so you have to be very careful when you're talking about a lot of conflation exactly and drawing drawing implications because the errors have been we take jesus for instance um saying um uh, you know father take this you know cup from me um you know nevertheless not my will but your will be done and we say oh uh, the father and the son have two different wills 
Well, no, the, the early church answered that. Um, in, in, again, in the caution with which we take in describing Jesus' human nature and his divine nature. Mm. The caution must be used. And, that, and, and there's just been a lot of lack of caution yeah. in preaching. It, it's been interesting. I, I just finished last week a, a Sunday school class on the doctrine of God, where we focused exclusively on classical theism. It's the second time I've taught it. Both times we've had about 75 people in it. People are hungry for this. Mm -hmm. And what's been interesting is as we've navigated impassibility, just how foreign that idea Mm -hmm. is to to Christians today. And and at first, really unpalatable to them, Mm -hmm. this idea Mm -hmm. that, that how can I be comforted by a God who does not himself suffer? Yeah. And we just really had to take our time walking through that because so much of popular... We've lost uh, the creator-creature r- distinction. Right, right. Yeah. It, it, because so much of our songs, so much of our modern hymnody, and so much of our preaching has has collapsed that distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of this goes... You know, I, I think there are a couple of characteristics of the modern age that have, have led to these misunderstandings of the doctrine mm-hmm. of God, and one of them is the role of suffering particularly yes. post-Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tom Wayne in his excellent book, uh, Does God Suffer, makes that point. He mm-hmm. says the big issue when you're dealing with impassibility is Auschwitz. Yes. Uh, in terms of what does it mean to have an impassable God in an era marked by such incredible suffering. Right. The second thing I think that has misled people is the idea of person. We typically mm-hmm. think of God as one substance, three persons. Well, of course, person is a, is a, a not very good translation of the Greek word hypostasis. Right. The problem with person is that today we think of personality or personhood in psychological terms, in terms of a a sphere of consciousness, Mm -hmm. a will. Well, that's not what the ancient church (laughs) was getting at when it was using the term hypostasis. And and Augustine, you know, uh, used the term person rather reluctantly. I mean, I think, you know, he arrived at the fact that it's probably the, you know, helpful word, but but you have to still be very cautious. Yeah, yeah. In and using it, Bart uses the term mode. Yes, which, which is, un- is n- uh, the problem with mode is it's it's ter- terribly corrupted by the idea of modalism. modalism. Yeah, but in some ways, I can see if I could say I can see that mode is getting at something yeah. good in that context. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That bringing in too much of the modern connotations right. of personhood that that will do you in mm-hmm. at this level. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've had popular level reformed resources in women's ministries, you know, best selling even. Mm-hmm saying that God is three beings. Three beings, yeah. 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 I mean, there comes a time where you're just like, yep. that's yep. tritheism. That's tritheism. Yeah. That's tritheism. Yeah. That is tritheism. Uh, and again, This is why, what we're supposed to be studying? Yeah, exactly. You know, why you have to be so careful. You know, mm-hmm. so, so Athanasius would go to war with the world over, a, you know, a single Greek letter, an iota. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we, we have to, when you're talking about the nature of God, who God is in himself, you have to be really careful Mm-hmm. with the words you use. You know, yeah. as we were working through impassibility in the Sunday school class, you know, uh, you know, you talked about Auschwitz and so many of the things that I'd gone back and read about God's suffering go directly back to the concentration camp, yeah. you know, and yeah. for understandable reasons, yeah. you know. Um, Elie Fiesel, you know, uh, asked, you know, where was God, you yeah. know, in the concentration camps? And he says, there on the scaffolding, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a God who does not suffer is a God who cannot help. Yeah. I understand why that, that 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 psychic longing to have a God uh, who suffers in that sense. But again, one of the challenges in navigating it yep. is we see Jesus suffering, so therefore God suffers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how do we help people Human nature understand? Human uh-huh. yeah. yep. Very important. Exactly. Yeah. 
I think we also need to understand, you know, when the when the early church fathers and when the, the Reformed Orthodox say that God is impassable, we tend to think of, you know, compare Todd Pruitt to a rock, mm-hmm. which is more impassable. Mm-hmm. We tend to think, well, the rock is more mm-hmm. impassable than Todd Pruitt. Until you I'd, actually meet me. Yeah, I could, well, I could punch <laughs> you on the nose, you'd howl with pain. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you'd yeah. probably sing like Yoko Ono. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Well, don't encourage Amy, please. We don't want her doing that again on the show. Uh, but in actual fact, what the early church fathers were getting at was that God is, is immutable. Because he is abundant life to which no more life can be added. added. Mm -hmm. So actually, God's immutability is more like the mutable human being than the inert stone because we are more existent. We have more life than the stone does. Uh, And so I I think part of the, the answer to getting people to, to think about a doctrine like immutability or impassibility is to, to say everything you've been told about immutability and impassibility is wrong. Right. It's not like a lump of ice mm-hmm. or a stone. God is not inert. It's actually more like you than a stone, mm-hmm. but it's, it's you with life to the, the fullest mm-hmm. so that nothing can be added to you that would mean you had to change. Right. Nothing be taken from you. Yeah. God does not have to suffer in order to become more kind or more compassionate yeah. because right. he is already perfect and eternally kind and merciful and compassionate. To use Thomist language, you know, God's essence is his existence. Right. That is who he is. Yes. He is the one of whom no one more perfect can be yeah. conceived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, going back Which to is Thomas. Which well, it's so wonderful Anselm. to teach. Yeah, Anselm. That's right, Anselm. Yeah. yeah. That's why it's so wonderful to teach this stuff, like, in mm-hmm. the setting of, of a Sunday school mm-hmm. class, mm-hmm. Um, because it leads to just complete doxology well and that was yeah. that was wonder right and, and all exactly and that was one of the gratitude. things we reminded ourselves every week is that this is about mm-hmm. doxology mm-hmm. and devotion mm-hmm. yeah and and to know that you know speaking anthropomorphically mm-hmm. that's the god whose hands i'm in yes that's the How god who's able to actually help that? me mm-hmm. and, mean, and that's where that I, ministers to us to right. know and i think young people are beginning to get hold of this. yes i mean i had a number of students that were uh, university students that were in the Sunday school class and again trying to communicate it from a standpoint of here's why this is a comfort to you here's why this is mm-hmm. good news for you no the, and the, as soon as you start studying it it mm-hmm. automatically yeah. yep. blows open the doors of right. seeing this is why it's so right. good right the fact that God is not made up of parts you know yeah. that he's simple yeah. well again that's more than just an esoteric abstract idea mm-hmm. uh, what it means to use the Puritan phrase, in terms of experiential or experimental religion, what it means is that I'm able to be comforted by the fact that God just doesn't do good things, but he is good. Right. Yeah. He's eternally good goodness. and therefore can't not be good. Mm-hmm. He is he can't creator not, and not creation. Right. Mm-hmm. He can't yeah. not do good because yeah. he can't not yeah. not be good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's simple. It's not just a part of him. It's not just a part of him. Yeah. It is his him. essence. Everything yeah. in yeah. him is good. Right. Well, I've spent this week reading a manuscript by Craig Carter. He's completed yeah. his manuscript. One of our favorite books from a couple of years ago. The, his interpreting scripture. Uh, scripture in the Great Tradition. Mm-hmm. He's got a book on the doctrine of God coming out, yeah. using particularly the book of Isaiah, or mm-hmm. Isaiah, as yeah. you would say, if mm-hmm. I can translate yeah, for yeah. The, the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's part of a burgeoning, burgeoning literature in yeah. this area. So as we draw this to a close, I want to encourage uh, our audience to get hold of some good yes. books of classical mm-hmm. theism. 
uh, read Gregory of Natanzianzus, mm-hmm. Five Theological Orations, read uh, Athanasius on the Incarnation, um, get hold of some of the work that's been done by the Reformed Baptists. Uh, for example, God Without Passions mm-hmm. by, by Sam Renahan. Mm-hmm. None Greater uh, by Matthew Barrett. None Greater by Matthew Simply Barrett. Simply God by Peter Sandlin. Simply God by Peter Sandlin. And I would also say to presbyters out there, theological mutualism, which is a heresy. Yes. And Craig Carter actually refers to it in his book as idolatry. Yeah. T- t- it, define that real quick. Theological the, mutualism. the idea that God changes. Right. Particularly that God changes in the incarnation. Uh-huh. And he changes uh, to relate to us. Changes to relate uh-huh. to us. That is alive and well in some Reformed seminaries. Yes, it is. And I think members of presbytery, you have a responsibility to read your confession understand what the founders of your tradition Mm -hmm. were arguing for and excluding. Right. And you need to make sure that when people from from seminaries where this stuff is taught come before you, you ask the right questions. And you don't get fobbed off with the, oh, well, I don't know what you're talking about or I never came across that in class. Be aware of what's going on in the reformed educational world and act proactively Mm -hmm. in presbyteries to keep this stuff out of the pulpits. Well, it's been Indeed. great having you uh, join us today. As I say, uh, please do uh, visit our website, mortificationofspin.org. Uh, we will have an opportunity there for you to uh, enter to win a copy of Sam Renahan's book, God Without Passions. Uh, we would also encourage you while you're there that if, uh, if you feel led to make a, a contribution to uh, the Alliance, this is a listener-supported podcast. Uh, And in the meantime, uh, we wish you well and look forward to being with you next week. Still don't know what I was waiting for And my time was running wild A million dead-end streets And every time I thought I got it made It seemed the taste was not so sweet So I turned myself to face me I've never caught a glimpse How the others must see the faker I'm much too fast to take that test Ch-ch-ch-change it Turn and face the strange Ch-ch-change it Don't want to be a richer man Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... Look at the knees of these people. Oh, those are bad knees. Terrible. I had not noticed that. Saggy knees. I was wondering if you were going to say it looked like something that might have been on the front of a liberation theology text. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) That interview is next time. Join us then.